Hi, and welcome to the Hospital IQ Podcast. I'm Michael Krockman. In recent webinars, podcasts, blogs, and collateral pieces, we've been discussing the questions that health system executives and OR leaders are facing as they reopen their perioperative areas on the path to COVID-19 recovery. Today, we're going to hear what recovery looks like from the perspective of an individual surgeon. Dr. Bill Chapman has been kind enough to join us by phone to share his experience during this pandemic. Dr. Chapman, thank you for joining us. Before we start, would you mind giving us your background? Sure. I've been a surgeon for the better part of 25 years. The first 21 years was with the university, so I was an academic surgeon, but very, very busy with more of a private practice mentality and was the chief of bariatric and minimally invasive surgery, as well as a fellowship training program for the last 10 to 15 years at that position with the university. I left the university about four or five years ago, and I'm now in private practice with a two-person group, and we are incredibly busy bariatric minimally invasive surgery group, probably do between the two of us as many cases as the entire university group does. It sounds like you have the view from both the organizational and the individual side that fits this discussion perfectly. Getting right into it, before the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, what was your typical caseload split between elective and non-elective procedures? I always find that very interesting when people talk about elective and non-elective. I think the definition is very difficult, and it really came out with this COVID when they started saying you could only do urgent emergence versus elective or symptomatics versus not symptomatics. Most patients who come to their doctor or to a surgeon who are referred to a surgeon are there because they're symptomatic. And by definition, that usually means it's non-elective. But if you truly go on the urgent emergent versus the non-urgent emergent, I would say that my normal mix is probably 90% elective surgery and 10% urgent emergent. How was your practice impacted at the very beginning? What percentage of your caseload was canceled? Probably 95 plus percent of my caseload was canceled. We were calling patients and telling them that we couldn't do their weight loss surgery, we couldn't do their gallbladder, we couldn't do their colon until further notice, and then if they had worsening symptoms, we would have to see them back in the emergency room. It had a very distinct impact early on, and again, we were very eager to provide the care to the patients. We just did not have a facility to operate out of. Hospitals are beginning to reopen their operating rooms, but a lot of executives don't anticipate getting back to full volume until 2021. How has that changed your day-to-day? It's very interesting because I have a very unique perspective because I was 21 years with the university that pretty much deficit budgets, as opposed to being in a private practice sector where you kind of eat what you kill meaning that you can't keep the doors open unless you're doing operations. Whereas if you're a state-funded university, it doesn't make a difference how many cases you do, you're gonna make your salary. It has a distinct impact on my practice, on all of the nurses that work with us, on my surgical techs. But since the reopening, we've been able to ramp it back up pretty rapidly. And my partner and I are pretty much back up to just about full volume now within the last two weeks. You alluded to the review process earlier. With your ramping back up in your practice, how has the process for requesting and getting OR time changed? Well, initially, the way our facility works, and I know a lot of facilities work this way, is that the surgeon is allotted certain block time. And since I'm a very busy surgeon and I'm pretty efficient at what I do, I had a fair amount of block time. But all that went away during COVID. Nobody had block time. There were only a certain number of rooms that would be run with N95 masks, et cetera, et cetera. 
now we're pretty much back to our designated blocks and we're able to get the cases approved. Just in the last 24 hours or so, we finally got the nod from the chief of general surgery to say that we could start doing unrestricted bariatric cases. And they were the last to be added on. So the weight loss surgeries, we can now do gastric bypasses, sleeve gastrectomies, revision bypasses. But before that, we'd have to submit all these cases, as I'd said before, to the chief of general surgery. He would look at them and he would have to give a little scenario, a little snippet of why this case needed to be done. And then he would present that to the chief of surgery. They were the gatekeepers and they have been the gatekeepers. And that's just the way our facility works. Just for your practice, how long do you think it's going to take to clear your backlog of cases? See, I do a lot of endoscopies. I probably do four or five endoscopies, meaning upper endoscopies, colonoscopies. It'll take me three plus months to catch up with endoscopies, even though we're only down for two months or so. It'll take me three months to catch up because of the slow ramp up. As far as surgical cases go in the operating room, hernias, gallbladders, bariatric procedures, it'll probably take a good two months to get caught up. My practice is unique. We own our own surgery center, so we were able to get some of our cases done at our surgery center over the last month while the hospital was closed down to help prevent us from having such a massive backlog. Outside of your practice, obviously, you have a lot of colleagues that work in other health systems. What are you hearing from them about how their health systems have been able to manage through this process? I have talked to many of my peers in other facilities, both private facilities and hybrid facilities like ours that have university and private practice surgeons in them. And I think most of us agree that this chaos and confusion was pervasive at almost every institution. The rules changed from day to day. The data changed from day to day. And I can remember going in and talking to the chief of anesthesia, and he says, oh, my gosh, you know, they're saying that within the next three weeks, all of our ICUs are going to be filled. We won't have a ventilator. And all this was based on these models that came out of the CDC that were predicting millions of deaths or hundreds of thousands of deaths and really scared the living daylights out of the system. And I've heard the same thing from folks out of other institutions, whether they're hybrid or private. But I just think the initial confusion wasn't all local, but it was based on quote unquote best data. But the sad thing is, is as we've ramped up to get things going again, patients are scared to death about going to the hospital because they're fearful of COVID. I've had to tell patients, listen, we didn't shut down the hospital because we were afraid of getting COVID. We shut down the hospital to maintain space to take care of COVID patients and to preserve PPE so that we would have it for essential patients. But that has been a very difficult message to get out. And I've talked to our hospital administration and told them, if you guys want to get back in the black, you're going to have to put out some PR that says we're safe, we're ready, we're fully functioning to move forward, and we're fully prepared to take care of any COVID patients that come in who need surgery. But again, been chaos and confusion. And even now, we COVID test every patient coming in for surgery. We still don't know what to do with people who are COVID testing positive who are completely asymptomatic. And it's just been very frustrating for surgeons like myself who just want to get back up and running. With all that in mind, is your practice making any contingency plans for a potential second wave later in 2020? That's a great question. I think that we are certainly prepared. 
we are a small practice, so we don't have the purchasing power to get lots of PPE, but we are certainly starting to hold on to PPE, make sure we have it. We have our personal surgery center that is able to be ramped up if need be. I think we're more prepared than, say, the average practices because they don't have an avenue to get some of these patients done. But unfortunately, since still 60 plus percent of our patients are done out of the big centers, unless the big center is prepared for a quote unquote second wave, then we're going to be in trouble. One thing I would say, though, after the first wave, I think we have figured out with medical management of COVID that other than high risk individuals, most people do very, very well and don't die. The hospital, they've quarantined off a couple units, and they will stay quarantined off for the predicted second wave that may happen in the fall or the winter. But until there is a vaccine, I don't think anyone's going to feel really fully safe. But I think we're positioned pretty well, and I think the system understands that we can handle the kind of volume that a place like ours would see. Just because our location here in eastern North Carolina is different than, say, New York City or Chicago. I think that we're better prepared, and I'm hoping that after this experience that the, the hospital will be able to manage it a little bit more efficiently. Well, Dr. Chapman, I'd like to thank you for your time. We've been talking about the process of COVID-19 recovery with a lot of different people, and we've been hearing a lot of the same things. But the conversation with you today has been eye-opening and completely unique. You've told us some things that we haven't heard. So thanks again for joining us today, and thank you for your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime. For Dr. Bill Chapman, I'm Michael Krogman, and this has been the Hospital IQ Podcast.